And good morning. Welcome into In Focus News Radio KMAN. On this Tuesday morning, it is our city day here on the program. We'll get an update from our city officials, including uh, Mayor Linda Morris, who joins us in studio. Good morning. Good morning. And yeah. we've also got uh, Deputy City Manager Jason Hilgers uh, filling in for Ron Fear today. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have you on here. This is kind of like an annual trip for you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often, but occasionally I, I get the opportunity. Yeah. Does Ron take a vacation in May typically? Is that kind of how it goes? Actually, another event this morning oh, okay. uh, that he's attending. So, yeah. But but occasionally, yeah, that does occur. Very good. Well, good to see you and uh, good to have you both in studio here today. Lots going on in the city as we get uh, set for the summertime. Uh, it's hard to believe we're almost there. It's almost budget season. You'll get to start that process here pretty soon. That's going to be exciting. Uh, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but... Uh, <laughs> Very comprehensive, but yes, we'll we'll get going. I think the mayor attended the law board yesterday, and they started some of their discussions on their budgets for 2023. So ours is soon to follow. Yeah, this is yeah, the law board. Linda is kind of the first cookie to it is to fall there. It is it by statute. It has to be done by June, so we have to line everything up for that. But the legislature kind of adjusted the city and the county's budget deadline dates to later. It did, and it actually is going to – it helps us. Uh, it, they aren't just stacked on top of each other, so we get an extra month out of the process. But that revenue neutral rate, which we'll have to publish in July, a big part of that obviously is where PD comes in and interfaces with our budget. It seems like there's a common theme for a lot of boards and in and, and, and public service here that uh, wages are going to go up. And regardless of, of whether people like it or not, that's just kind of the theme this year. And, and I think the city's no different. Yeah, we've we've had a discussion in the last couple of months about pay for, for our people, and, and we were successful in getting a new salary ordinance adopted by the commission, had a pay study completed by AGH out of Wichita. Just a lot of data. You know, we got out there and looked at a lot of comparables, looked internally at equity, and, and really have tried to balance out where we're at. Just ideally trying to get all our employees to the point where if they went and applied for a job in Salina or Topeka or Kansas City area or Wichita area, what we're paying them would be comparable. So they're not behind 10 percent or 20 percent and and would be attracted to another community that's willing to pay them more to do the same job they're doing here in Manhattan. And keeping it in a moderate range, too. Um, There's this – I've heard the story about the wastewater treatment plant operator three who um, was approached by a Kansas city area um, government and was offered a salary higher than the department head here is making. And we, we can't compete with that, mm-hmm. but we can look at our employees pay <clears throat> and the city, the county is doing that. I, I think that RCPD state government, K state, everybody because we are losing out. We know we every every entity I talk to is short of employees and we can't hire. Now what are we going to do? We've got to hire. That's a common theme throughout the the community, the state, I think the nation. And I don't know where people went. <laughs> but but I just know that we're short. We can't hire enough. The RCPD is 22 positions down. That They used to get – when they would advertise for a police officer, they used to get 70. Now they're getting four or five. And it 
it's that um, deg- to that degree that we're encountering issues. We have to, uh, and we know that uh, with there's an inflation, eight uh, percent or more, depends on what month it is. We know that um, the costs of everything. Uh, the things I buy have gone up a lot more than 8%, whether it's baby formula or gas or whatever I look at. So there's a big, uh, there's a kind of a balancing or adjustment that's taking place. And I think it will continue to flush out. And um, so in another eight months, six months, things will calm down. But we're, as long as we have supply chain issues and shipping containers on the west coast and a war in the ukraine and we just have chaos and in in the world so i think it's just disrupting our regular what we know life as we know it yeah well it's it's tough because uh, i know you want to kind of do incremental increases here to not be too much of a burden on the taxpayers here because if you don't do that then what ends up happening is you have huge uh budget increases i talked to one of the four men that work in the sewers. And he said, I'm waiting to see what you do with the pay study because I can go get a job somewhere else. Mm. And I'm, I, I want to know what you're going to do for the, the – there are only four. They need more employees. So they're trying to hire, but they can't. So these four are stuck. And you think – and they're at the lower end probably of the pay scale. And so, I, you know, that was an instructive conversation for me mm. and all of us actually. All right. Well, we'll see where that conversation goes. A lot more to to see on that here in the next couple months as the budget gets uh, put together. Um, tell you what, let's let's take our first break and we'll get into uh, sort of the agenda here. You know, just breaking the ice here as we get things going here with the city officials. Uh, stay tuned. In Focus continues in a moment. Back on In Focus News Radio KMAN with our city officials, Deputy City Manager Jason Hilgers and Manhattan Mayor Linda Morse in studio with us here. City Commission has. Uh, their meeting tonight, legislative meeting at 7. There's also a briefing session at 5.30 at City Hall. Uh, we'll start today with the consent agenda because there are some uh, interesting items on there. Uh, item D in particular, uh, Jason, it has to do with uh, a second and final reading of some uh, some bonds here, some approval of uh, general obligation bonds. Yeah, we went out for uh, bids on $2.1 million in bonds. We had uh, temporarily financed a series of projects. A lot of them had to do with special assessments, so infrastructure out in our residential neighborhoods. Uh, those bids came back. Uh, the low bid was 3.67. Uh, that's almost a full percentage point over what we normally issue debt at. A lot of that has to do with the inflation that's going on in the economy right now, the Federal Reserve adjusting rates. We did maintain our AA3 rating uh so that held constant um but it's you know it was, it was an opportunity for us to go out uh, and test the market and see where we're at we're pleased with the 3.67 just given what's going on in the economy right now all right very good and uh other items here on the consent agenda tonight yeah item f we can jump to uh it's a it's another financial transaction we sold some notes uh 10.9 million dollars in temporary notes uh, that came in uh, at 2.8%. Uh, we were at 1.8% in February. So, again, just kind of another indicator. Uh, debt is uh, going to be more expensive to issue in the, in the near future. And, again, just kind of reacting to where the Federal 
reserve is at and the national economy. Uh, I know even residential rates have been ticking up a couple percentage points from where they were earlier this year. So this is another reflection of that, but it, this will obviously get us to a point financially we can move forward and, and finance a, a series of projects within the city. All right, very good. And, and a lot of those uh, that are tied to that, it looks like airports, a big part of that, that, that the parking lot? Yeah, the, these are obviously projects we're, we're complete with, but we're out actually getting those notes sold. A lot of times we approve uh, those notes as the project is commencing. And then we, once the project is over and we know that final cost, we'll go out and sell those notes and, and fully fund those projects. So if it, essentially we'll run those in the red until we get to the point where we're selling the notes. Now, typically, how long does it take to, to pay those down? Uh, so the notes will be out for three and a half years, and then we'll rotate into uh, permanent debt, which is that GO item uh, on item D. Uh, all those projects were temp noted at one point in time. Uh, it's somewhat like a construction loan that you can get on a home where you go into the bank, you leverage all the money, you go build the product, then you come up with a total at the end of the day, and then you issue you know, your 30-year mortgage on that. Uh, this allows us three and a half years to get projects complete, total price known, then you can go out for debt. So the temp notes are really at the onset of projects in order for us to gain some time before we actually have to permanently finance. There are projects we actually just debt finance in that three-and-a-half-year period. We'll come up with cash on smaller projects over that three-and-a-half-year period and never issue permanent debt. So the temporary financing gives us some flexibility, and the rate's usually always about a full percentage point lower than 10, 10 to 15 to 20-year debt. Okay. Uh, next item, G, we got some professional services. We got a couple different projects that the community may have some, some interest in. The first one's with Bartlett and West. It's a $240,000 contract. This is going to address the sidewalk uh, adjacent to Fort Riley Boulevard. There's a parallel uh, sidewalk on the north side of Fort Riley Boulevard, basically from Westwood to MLK Junior Drive. Now, this is an area where we see a lot of people uh, attempting to walk. The hillsides are steep. Uh, we're going to get in there along Valley Drive, which is, runs parallel with Fort Riley Boulevard between uh, Westwood and, and MLK Junior Drive. And it's 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 going to be a little bit complex. We'll have to impact that street a little bit. Uh, if you pay attention as you go around that curve, uh, that sidewalk is just right up against the street, and then it stops. Uh, and it, there's a gap in, in that sidewalk network that we're going to try to address here with this design. There's also a uh, project uh, at Leavenworth Street. Uh, this is 5th and Leavenworth. They'll assist us in the design there. So this is right next to the um, post office. So as you're coming down Leavenworth, you're at 5th. We're going to address this entire intersection. There's some below-grade infrastructure we need to replace, but then there's some bulb outs. And we're going to try to make that a pedestrian, more pedestrian-friendly intersection. It can get a little bit busy. It can get a little unsafe at times, uh, and there are a lot of people that do walk at that intersection as accessing the postal office or accessing the high-rise for the housing authority. So that's another one that we're very uh, interested. We've got a lot of comments and feedback over the years about that intersection, and here's some money and, and some dedication to some design to see if we can't come up with a better project there. I, I hate going to the post office specifically for that reason. It's It's a tough – area to navigate i mean it is if you can't find parking i mean let me pull your microphone up here just a little bit linda it kind of fell down <laughs> i did but it goes down every time there we go if if it falls again i'll i'll try to get it fixed here during the break um again we're talking with linda morris and uh, jason hilgers here on uh, in focus 
Uh, anything else on the consent that would be worth highlighting? Yeah, item G has another item. Uh, there's a professional services there. Uh, this is in concert with what's going on at Art and Light, uh, basically between 3rd and 4th, Pierre and Houston. There's a there's a sewer that runs down the middle of the block, and the Art and Light Project's going to pay for the relocation of that sewer. Well, they're going to basically take the sewer out of the alleyway that would be in that block and move it north down Houston. Houston also has um, a stormwater box underneath it that's deteriorating our pavement, and our, our sidewalks were never redone in that third to fourth on Houston. The intersection of Houston and 4th is also somewhat problematic. If you've driven through there and been a pedestrian trying to cross there, it's it's a little scary at times. Traffic's moving pretty good. It's hard to see oncoming traffic. So we're going to study that intersection and look at improvements on Houston from 3rd to 4th. It was a segment of our downtown that we didn't really address when we were improving Points Avenue and we were improving 3rd and 4th Street north and south of downtown. It's an area much like Humboldt. Between third and fourth, we need to we need to invest in and, and bring that up to a standard that we see downtown. We've got some aging infrastructure there, some some deteriorating conditions in our pavement. So we're going to get with Banesh, and they're going to hire they're going to get some designs for us and, and allow the commission and the community to react to some of those designs. So that that contract there for two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars with Banesh will get us to a point where all those components will be realized and designed and we can consider a project we'd like to do this in concert with art and light so houston between third and fourth could be improved as the art and light museum is under construction and i think we heard at the leaders retreat they'd like to be under construction by the end of the year and then early 24 opening so we're trying to coincide with that do you think that's a realistic timeline i do like i said that sewer work needs to happen for heart and light Mm -hmm. before they can really do anything because you can't build on top of that sewer so we got to get that out so that'll really be some of the first work you see uh, in addition to the private parking lot um not the town pavilion lot i don't i don't anticipate that being disturbed or disrupted uh, within the next year, but the the parking lot next to it that serves more of the private businesses that have been acquired through Icon, that area could see some some demolition and some site prep uh, later this year. All right, and then uh, looks like item H here has to do more with the the North Campus corridor construction. The project seems to be moving right along. Yeah, this is uh, phase eight. This is along North Manhattan Avenue. So from the research park on the north which is really close to Kimball, will go all the way south of Claflin to Old Claflin Road. And this is a similar streetscape, landscaping, lighting plan that we've accomplished along College, along Kimball. We will at Denison and Kimball. There's two phases of construction under underway today on Kimball, one from basically where the football stadium to the rowing center, and the other one is basically from North Manhattan back to Denison. Those are two active construction projects right now. You can't drive down Kimball, as the community is well aware. Those are, those are active. So we approach both of those contractors to give us a quote to go over on North Manhattan and bring the same type of streetscape landscaping package that we have on those two active projects to North Manhattan. We've already reconstructed North Manhattan. We did it in three different phases. That's complete. This is the last piece on North Manhattan to bring that adjacent landscape, streetscape, up to the same level that we're doing throughout the entire North Campus Corridor Edge District. I really like how North Manhattan's been redesigned. I'm curious, though, uh, 
Because I think it's like four lanes and a turn lane up at the top part uh, towards Kimball. But when you get to the campus, it kind of goes back down to two lanes. Is there ever any plans in the future to widen that part? Or I don't even know if you can. Yeah, there are some restrictions down towards Claflin. We had to narrow it as we got there to get back to a three lane. So there is a center turn lane. And the center turn lane, I think, from an engineering perspective, is really all the capacity we needed towards the bottom end of that. Towards the top in the research park and AIB, and as you get towards Kimball, we recognized there would be more traffic coming in and out of those areas, potentially more jobs. The research park right now, you see Stormont Vale under construction. So there's a substantial investment and increase in trips and vehicles that are anticipated in that area. So I, I don't think they anti- we anticipate or the engineers anticipate widening that any further down towards Claflin. Okay. I didn't know if like down to Bluemont, if that would be widened ever uh, kind of tight spaces there. If you've been here long enough, it used to be four lane. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's we're we're bound right now. That yeah. you'd have to either get into the wall at K State, which is is not something they're excited about doing, or get into the the private property on the east side. Which again, we've been trying to encourage development there. Back Nine's done a few projects along there, and they've come right up to the sidewalk. So I think the the anticipation is there that we would we wouldn't widen Bluemont. There is a bike lane that's going to be constructed through mm-hmm. Aggieville, and it'll go up to Vatier. And it'll allow for two-way bike traffic, but then we'll we'll get them on the sidewalk. If you get near Petticoat on North Manhattan, the grades really change substantially, so it would be very difficult to widen there anyway. And we couldn't even squeeze a, a bike lane in there other than the, the little one that's there now, but we wanted to enhance that. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's, uh, that pretty much wraps up the consent agenda, I think. Uh, so we'll... We'll stop there, and we'll come back, and we'll take a look at the general agenda when we come back. Some items, including the Aggieville Parking Garage, Indoor Aquatic Center study, and some uh, more action on appointments. I'll get into that here uh, right after the break on News Radio KMAN. We're back on In Focus, News Radio KMAN. I'm going to quickly go to the phone lines. Uh, Paul is standing by. He has a question. Go ahead, Paul. Okay. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yes, we can. Okay. I just want to be real brief. I want to make a couple of profound statements. I think uh, that when Ron Fear, who has done a wonderful job, gets ready to retire, you have his replacement sitting right there in your studio with Mr. Hilger. And I also want to state that when uh, your commissioner that's with you and mayor was elected, I was concerned, but she has done a great job, and she should be very proud of herself. All right. Sounds like he's buttering you up. You got uh, anything else, Paul? I think that's it. Uh, all of you have a great forever. Paul, right. Paul, I'm really surprised you didn't touch on 5th and Leavenworth. You, you have given us a lot of feedback about that intersection over the years. About 5th and Leavenworth? Yeah. Yes, I have. I think that street should be made one way from 4th Street to Juliet and one way back on Leavenworth. Not on Leavenworth, but on Humboldt. And then you eliminate the whole problem. It was that way at one time, and I think it would be a great enhancement, and you'd free up that traffic at the post office because they could angle park and see to get in and out. But We'll take a uh, look. We'll take a look. But I'm glad we're making headway there and, and some improvements are on the horizon. Well, Jason, Jason Hildred wanted me to get a petition up and get a deal up. I said, no, it's not my job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd like to thank you too, Paul. I, you know, compliments are always nice. If you had to be mayor, you would pick Manhattan, Kansas for a Kansas city. 
we all feel so positive about what happens here. We're, you know, it's being mayor is easy because we brag about the accomplishments that we've had here and the quality of life here, and we are attracting other entities to come here. So, you know, thank you. I I think it's uh, just reaffirming and uh, well, helpful as you, to have as some positive you know, feedback. As you know, I considered running for office two or three times and backed out. And someone asked me the other day, when are you going to run for office? I said, the only thing I'm running for is the border, and I haven't decided which one yet. <laughs> <laughs> you have to make an application. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm, I don't think I want to go south because they might put the wall up. Oh, okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. Thank you, Paul. Thank you all. All right, yeah. Paul likes to compliment. We have Dr. Schaefer in here quite a bit. He's he's encouraged Dr. Schaefer, uh, Dr. Timothy Schaefer from the Institute for Civic Discourse and Democracy, uh, to be the next president of K State. Remember that, Nick? He's, he's gone with governor too. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. pitched that a couple times. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we're going to get into the uh, general agenda here. There's uh, some interesting items here to talk about here today, including um, another addition to the Aggieville parking garage. This specifically having to do with uh, the parking management plan, and I'll let Jason kind of explain what's going on here. Yeah, so the action item tonight is centered around uh, the license plate recognition software and equipment that we'd like to purchase and implement within the garage itself. So there's a there's a purchase here that involves us buying cameras, uh, involves us buying the necessary uh, technology and equipment, the pay stations that would allow us to monitor parking within the garage itself. In addition to that, we wanted to give the commission an overview of where we believe the rates and how we manage the garage should be. Now, that would we were recommending this not take place until January of 23. We need some time to buy the equipment, install the software, make sure everything is working appropriately, and hire the additional staff and buy the vehicles themselves. So we're still outfitting the garage and the approach to the management, but we wanted to lay out for the commission where we think financially we need to be. We come to a recommendation that includes that first hour in the parking garage being free. After that, it would basically be $2 an hour with a max of $10 a day. There are also opportunities for people who are working in Aggieville, whether you're part-time you have a, a certain rate. I believe it's $30 a month. If you're full-time, it's $40 a month. And if you're an employer in Aggieville and you'd like reserve stalls, that option's there for $100 a month. We would look at this uh, comprehensively. We need some experience, but we've based our budgets uh, on some theories of occupancy. Uh, we obviously need some some history here to, to, to fine-tune where we're at financially, but we're looking at about a half million dollars in operation, and we anticipate around that same amount in revenue. So we're trying to break even with our approach. We don't want to necessarily overcharge, but also be able to put something out there that we believe will generate enough revenue to offset those expenses. So that's really the overview this evening, trying to get reaction from the commission, reaction from the Aggieville district, reaction from the community in terms of moving forward with that type of structured parking and a management plan that generates enough revenue to offset those expenses. And I would just say that the parking garage has 445 spaces, and as uh, it's only been open a month. What can you say? 
some people haven't figured out how to get into it yet. You know, with North Manhattan Avenue under construction, you can only come into it on the west side of Laramie at 14th. Anyway, it's just um, more and more people will find it. I expect a bigger impact in the fall when the community fills up again. And we need this history so we can um, anticipate what are the right things to do, whether it's the price or some of the decisions we make. But we have nine ADA stalls, and two of them will accommodate a van, which is a good thing. Uh, But the free parking or complimentary parking until January is important because it's kind of like at the airport. The first year it was free because we wanted, we all wanted people to get used to parking there. And it's pretty full these days. And it's a good sign that, you know, that we're using the airport again. Um, but it's, um, the parking in Aggieville is still going to be an issue because we're shifting things around constantly. So you think you know exactly where you're going to park today. And, oops, there are new signs. There's a new road closed. They're going to do a sewer over here. You know, and we're doing it in increments so that the businesses can survive in Aggieville. We can't do it all. But Aggieville has long, has long been due for an upgrade. And we did downtown some years ago. And now it's, it's Aggieville's turn. And it will be much better when we're finished. Yeah. Parking in Aggieville is going to continue to evolve too. So on-street parking, we don't anticipate making a lot of changes out of the gate. While we're still under construction and we're really upsetting uh, the way folks normally operate down there, we want the on-street really to remain consistent. So today it's three-hour on the on-street, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and the, the parking lot that we do have still available is still 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, three-hour I anticipate that parking lot will come out of the mix of inventory, and this is the Kites parking lot basically at 12th and Laramie. We have just recently entered into an agreement with Back 9. I think they anticipate by October, November timeframe, they'd like to be under construction on that site, which will remove those 85, 90 stalls that are available. The on-street really will be the only other alternative and we have one additional one left parking lot that's uh, just east of Hunam that people can still park in and that'll be regulated at the three hour mark but the that we won't mess with that approach with the exception this technology with license plate recognition will allow us to monitor where people are at traditionally folks in downtown in Aggieville have been able to move their car a stall or two and been okay because we've been chalking tires this new technology will know if you did that. And the, the rules and the regs that the commission will have to consider starting in January will basically create a geofence in those districts where you won't just be able to move your car a stall or two. We can create the environment to where they would need to move their car to the garage. If they're going to stay there longer than three hours, they need to be in the garage. If you're on street, that's meant for the customer, that's meant to turn over, it's meant for... Uh, creating an environment that if you're going to shop and eat and dine and spend money in Aggieville, you've got, a, you've got an opportunity to park close to that, that business. If you're going to be in Aggieville all day working or you just – what other reason you're going to be there all day, parking in the garage is the alternative we're, we're advocating for. So those are the recommendations. We'll have more discussion this evening. 
Those ordinances have yet to be put together. We need feedback this evening, but I anticipate those ordinances also coming as part of the budget because that financial approach obviously is trying to offset those expenses. If we vary there, we're going to need to recognize that in our budget process. I haven't looked long-term at the the parking plan here for Aggieville going forward, but I imagine the the idea would be here to get more people into the parking garages going forward and less of the off-street parking. Is that fair to say? It is for those who are working down there and those who plan to spend a long period of time in Aggieville. Um, We do have the overnight option as well. So Fridays and Saturdays, you're going to be able to park in the garage, stay all night, not have to move your vehicle until noon the next day for $8.00. Uh, it's it's a, a way we're trying to encourage people to leave their vehicles if they're not able to drive, if they've been overserved. Uh, but we didn't want to necessarily gouge them the next morning either, so we gave them till noon to get in there and get their vehicle out before we start back with the oversight. So there's a lot of different uh, mechanisms, but you're you're right. We're trying to give those prime spots. To, we want them to turn over, and we'd like them to be available to those who want to come down and spend some money in Aggieville. If I want a donut or I want to stop at Acme mm-hmm. Gift, I want a parking place on the street where I can run in and get what I want. Um, but if I'm going to be there for a long enough period of time, I need to put my car in the parking garage and leave those spaces for the retail uh, businesses that are there. We want them to be healthy also, and we can't uh, affect them negatively. Sure. All right. Well, that'll be an interesting discussion here tonight uh, with the uh, Aggieville Parking Garage. Maybe we'll take a break here, Nick, and then uh, we'll get into the uh, last two items here in the next segment because I think that'll probably take a little more conversation here. So uh, we'll do that here next on In Focus. We're back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, getting a preview of tonight's Manhattan City Commission meeting, which starts at 7 o'clock in City Hall. They do have a briefing session at 530 uh, before the meeting. Uh, but we're talking here today with Linda Morse, the mayor, and uh, Deputy City Manager Jason Hilgers. A couple more items here to get to on the general agenda, and uh, one that's going to be a very interesting topic, and that's the uh, indoor aquatics uh, feasibility study. Uh, and uh, that is coming to fruition, it looks like, here after about a year uh, in the works. So what, what's the latest, Jason? Yeah, last uh, spring, well, it was spring of 2020, uh, the natatorium closed within our community. And the university had been providing indoor aquatics for the community for over 50 years. Um, I'm not saying it was as, as accessible as it would have been if it was ran by the city. There were still some hurdles to get in, but if, if you figured out um, how to get over those hurdles, uh, our indoor uh, groups, whether that be the high school swim team, or the Marlins and the Minnows here locally, our youth groups, uh, they all used uh, the natatorium. And obviously with its closing, it's generated quite a bit of um, reaction and conversation within the community. Genesis has five or six lanes now, and I think a majority of the indoor is accomplished in our community there. There are people that are driving to Almago and and, uh, on Fort to uh, take advantage of some of their indoor aquatics as well. But it has generated quite a bit of of, uh, interest. So in August of last year, uh, we initiated a study. Uh, Tracy Anderson with Anderson Knight, McCown Gordon, and Councilman Hunsaker uh, partnered and brought a a scope and services to the commission at at very much a discounted rate. I believe the only consultants paid were Councilman Hunsaker, and they're a national indoor, outdoor water uh, strategy type of company. 
they are very uh, knowledgeable on different structures, different ways to approach water. Uh, they look at it from the Olympic side all the way down to the recreational side. So there's there's multi multifaceted um, levels of information there and, and good input and feedback we got from that group. We appointed or the commission appointed a 15 member committee and they started meeting last August. We had over 117 individuals sign up for that committee. So in, in addition to notifying and, and inviting all 15 committee members to each meeting, we also noticed the additional 102. Uh, and we had quite a turnout. Uh, we had five total meetings. Uh, we started going monthly there last fall uh, and finished up this spring. And Tracy walked through just a variety of topics. We talked everything from capacity at the pool, uh, budget, location, uh, types of amenities, uh, who we were targeting. Uh, he met with over 20 stakeholder groups within the community who have an interest in indoor water. And again, it was a multifaceted, whether it was a competitive type of uh, approach, a recreational approach, the leisure side where you could have the amenities, folks who were using it for therapy, uh, just a variety of user groups trying to get a broad uh, input and feedback that he could. They did that outside of the, four, the five different sessions that we had with the committee, and they brought a lot of information back for that group to react to. So from a location perspective, Manhattan's been studying indoor water for a long time, and there are probably three or four other studies late 90s, early 2000s, uh, I believe it was 06 or 07, we actually had a ballot question that involved the Seco Park uh, indoor uh, water along with gymnasiums, and we were going to move the Park and Rec office there at the time. That failed at that ballot. But then again, we recircled back and looked at the uh, strategic facility improvement plan uh, back in the about five, six years ago, and that really addressed all the needs within the community, and we got into the indoor improvements. We got into the outdoor. Well, pools was one of those, and it's the last one that really hasn't been addressed through any type of special project or sales tax. So again, just started looking at locations, looking at the capacity. He developed three different options for that committee to look at in terms of eight lanes, 14 lanes, 50-meter pools, what types of indoor amenities. And he created budgets uh, according to each of those those options. They ranged anywhere from $20 million to $27, $28 million to $34 million. You had a wide range of options looking at just how intense you wanted to uh, get with the community in terms of a package. He looked at operations, and he looked at revenue as well as expenses, so there was an acknowledgement that, yes, you would generate revenue, but would it be enough to offset expenses? Uh, so there, there did create an operational subsidy there, a gap in that financing, and that's identified in the report. Then we looked at location, and he, he really went back to the, the committee with the full community. I mean, we looked at the northeast side of the community, the southeast, the southwest, the center, and, and the northwest, and the, the common parks that we identified that have been identified before, Northeast Park, City Park, Seco Park. We even looked at some of the USD 383 property and potential partnerships. So we he really, Tracy just did an excellent job and, and his team of exploring all options with this committee again. We didn't want to, he didn't want to leave anything undone. He didn't want to assume anything. So we went, really went back through the full gamut of discussion. 
So the commission this evening has this 198-page report that is just full of a tremendous amount of data, input, feedback from that committee. That committee is very passionate. They ended up making some recommendations on the size, uh, on the location, and those are things the community and the commission will need to consider this evening. Well, you just look at this, Linda, at the uh, the, the sheer price tag, and, it, and this is a, an expensive endeavor. It's not much different than uh, it's a smaller scale, but like when c- cities in big you know, major cities consider like stadiums, yeah. you know, uh, th- this is probably likely going to take some some partnerships. I would think. That's what I think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> people are recognizing, it seems to me, that this is a community wide project. It's not something the city of Manhattan can afford to do all by itself. We need the school district. We need the county. We need the uh, K-State even. And whether it's land or support or some, everybody can bring something to the table uh, so that it, 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 it becomes a real partnership. Uh, I It's not something that the city can that I, that I support the city doing all by itself. I know it's a need, um, and I don't want it to fall off the table from our not paying attention to it. You know, over the years, that's what will happen. So we've got if we want to if we want to make this happen, we're going to have to feed it and keep it uh, under consideration and keep a, keep it in, in a visible position. Yeah, certainly all kinds of uh, potential questions here. It seems like at the beginning. Um, the the need sounded like is more for the competitiveness, but the the renderings here they show even you know the recreational side here. So I guess you have to kind of weigh those options here as a city official here. That's why people are going to Topeka and Fort Riley and Wamego because they offer different pieces that they want. And so Wamego may not offer the competitive; it may be more recreational. Uh, but I really admire what Wamego accomplished with their indoor and outdoor pool. I, 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 um, I wish we could, you know, do something equally creative, but it would have to be b- bigger, and that's what makes it um, a bigger <laughs> hurdle, I yeah. guess, is getting the money put together to do it. You know, uh, these big projects, I, Jason is probably the best to talk to about what it takes financially to put a project like this together. And um, it's not, you know, it would take, anyway, even with all of the ARPA money we've got, we don't have enough to do this. I mean, it's just that big. Uh, And um, so. It it is, Mayor, and it's a combination really of the indoor facilities we built at Anthony Eisenhower and what we're about to do in SECO. Mm -hmm. That entire sales tax was going to generate you know, $27.5 million. That's for all three of those facilities. And, and this, is, this is one facility that has basically the same price tag. So that 0.25 that generates that $2.75 million a year, if we would have bonded the indoor facilities at the junior highs, we wouldn't have had money left over for SECO. It was a pay-as-you-go approach, and we tried to leverage every dollar to not be spent on interest. Now, that created a delay. SECO will start its construction more likely in 2024 because that's when the revenue will actually be there to spend. This project would be very difficult to do that with. 
you could pass a question to 20 uh, – the tax that's funding the Eisenhower, Anthony, and SECO improvements will, will expire in 2027. It could be part of a question that is before 2027 that could take you know, effect at that point in time. But you got to recognize that 0.25 is probably only going to generate $28, 29000000 million. Do you wait 10 years for that revenue to all come in before they – well, I can assure you that price is going to change in 10 years. Yeah. So it's one of those things. If we're going to bond this thing, you actually need in excess of – let's just say we go with a $30 million option. You're going to need at least $41, $42 million worth of revenue to bond something like that, to pay the interest on it over that life. So that shifts it now to a, a 0.4 type of sales tax if sales tax was going to be used. Or if you look from a, a bond indebtedness standpoint uh, of an annual mill levy increase like the school districts had to do with all their improvements, that's a whole other calculation and a whole other approach. There are communities out there that are partnering. You see cities and, and districts going together on improvements, and you see cities actually being leveraged because they're the ones that have to put a sales tax question to the voters. The school district can't put a sales tax question to the voters. We did this for the school district about 15 years ago to help them with some of their technology enhancements and improvements at the district, and they ended it early. It was a five-year tax. They took three years of revenue, and then they ended it because it satisfied their needs. So you can have these partnerships. You can create these joint ventures. Uh, I would I would – absolutely embrace the opportunity to work with USD 383 and, and possibly Riley County to look at um, this type of facility for our community and our region. Well, I'm, I'm just curious here. Would, let's say that something goes forward here. What would be the more affordable option? Would it be more affordable to take one of your existing pools and renovate that into a space, or would it be more cost-efficient to, say, go to Northeast Community Park or Griffith Park for the other option? One of the, the options was to go to SECO and actually take that outdoor pool out of the inventory for outdoor and encompass that area to a basically indoor aquatics but keep the outdoor uh, kiddie pool, the, the, the youth area, the, like the baby and the one and the two and the toddler area, but get rid of the tank. So put the tank essentially in the building, take that out of the inventory for the outdoor, keep the toddler pool and combine those two. That would help us operationally, and it would also bring that resource of the indoor aquatics to the community. That's one option. There there are many others, mm-hmm. and they explored them. Uh, the option that I do believe the committee preferred was what I described. You keep that outdoor element for the toddlers in the summer, but then you bring the indoor tanks uh, as part of that project and eliminate that outdoor tank at SECO. And as <clears throat> as we've discovered with uh, – and we know the uh, cost of operating these facilities and staffing them, uh, you, you can build buildings, but then you also have to grow the budget to hire people. So we are pretty intent – if we come up with a funding mechanism to build it, <clears throat> we want that to also help with operations so that we can hire people to and, – and not – uh, sap the rest of the city budget in order to uh, fix the pump when it breaks or the um, fancy thing in city park pool that's really expensive uh, or 
you know, uh, and I hope we've learned we don't have to, uh, we can design pools so they don't require so many lifeguards to, like, sit every curve we make uh, in a pool, it requires, you know, additional lifeguard support. So, anyway, it, we want fancy things. And sometimes we get them. (laughs) Then we have to pay for them long term. It's longer than just build. It's longer than just building it. Yep. 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 All right. Well, it'll be interesting discussion. And we didn't get to everything here, but uh, we encourage people to tune in tonight to the city commission meeting, seven o'clock, Cox Cable Channel Three, CityofMHK.com/slash/tv. And uh, or you can be there in person if you want to do that as well. I imagine there'll be a full crowd tonight. So, uh, Linda, thanks for being here. Sure. Jason, good seeing you. Happy to do thanks, it. Thanks, Thank you. Um, John Matta will be here in June. The two meetings in June. Okay, we're rotating commissioners. Good, good deal. All right, that's going to wrap up our show here for today. USD three eighty three and Manhattan Christian College will be the featured segments tomorrow.